You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Okay, assalamu alaikum. Um, thank you listeners for joining us today. We are in the studio today with Sheikh Rizwan um, to have a, a one-hour conversation about Islam and health, taking into consideration about ill health, uh, what health means in Islam, and also uh, discussing organ donation um, from the background of the work I do. So just a short introduction about myself. Um, I'm Bishar Riaz and I work as policy lead at Kidney Research UK. Um, and um, yeah, we have Sheikh Rizwan, who I'm sure many of us know who Sheikh Rizwan is. So I'll, I'll pass on and say salam to Sheikh. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Okay, so we'll just start. Um, so Sheikh, when we talk about Islam um, and our body and health, we consider it as an important gift of the Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, a quote that I came across where it says, health is the best of blessings by um, one of the hadiths. And it said in the narration that one of the blessings that Allah has given us is the abundance of wealth. But however, better than the abundance of wealth is the health of the body. And we consider what Islam says is it's to be considered about this as a whole person. And, you know, when we face illness and injury, we've got to endure this with patience. What would you say, Sheikh, when we, when people, as we know, health is something that is decreed by Allah? How would we say, from an Islamic perspective, when should we deal with the issue when ill health befalls upon an individual? Yeah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So obviously, this is um, health is you know we always juxtapose it as the opposite of um, illness, and so it's kind of we see it obviously for, for very clear reasons as not what we want to be in so we always everyone wants to be healthy everyone wants to be fit everyone wants to be wealthy want to be you know all you want to be the optimum of good qualities or useful qualities so if you're if you're rich you can perhaps not think about things too much you can perhaps help other people you know and the prophet said that the, 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 the strong servant in the eyes of allah or the strong believer in the eyes of allah is, is far greater than the weak believer and um you know, al-abd al-qawi, meaning a certain servant of Allah, man or woman who's strong. And that can mean so many different things, but specifically it means bodily strength. The reason for that is you can do so many things because I've got damage one of my nerves in my left hand. It was during, during the earthquake here in Turkey. And, um, you know, even now I can't grasp, I can't even turn a key with my left, left, left arm. My hand is just bereft of any strength. And so you don't realize that until you lose something and then all of a sudden you you something you could use for a certain purpose is no longer useful and then that's when you start to think well health is such an amazing blessing and that's why you know you kind of alluded to the fact that the prophet has many many statements about health and in arabic it's called siha uh, siha is from sahih which is means to be good to, to be correct to be to, to do what it's supposed to do. In other words, things have a function, like the eye has a function, the hand has a function. You know, internally in the body, we know, we know in modern medicine, you know, all the discussion about organ donations and different types of dialysis all relates to a specific part of the body malfunctioning. And so from the beginning, I think what Muslim and Islam brings to this discussion is, is depth. And um, it, it, it gives grounding as well. It gives a sense of tranquility to the whole discussion of bereavement and illness and ill health. 
in a way that I think is 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 fairly unique in the depth in which it does it. I know other religious traditions have very similar ideas. But there's something about the, the inst instilling of this by the Prophet Ali Salatu Wasalam when he talked about, you know, there's two blessings. Prophet said that, you know, that there's two blessings that most people are bereft of. Seha, which is health, and also free time. So if you think of these two things, if you think of, you know, health, you know, being well, wellness, Seha is actually, you could tra translate it as being wellness or goodness, and um, having free time. And when you don't have free time, you realize you're running about and you're, uh, you're not unable to plan anything and everything is going AWOL because there's just too many things on your plate. And Seha, because all of a sudden you're, you're stopped in your tracks. All the things you wanted to do in life are put on hold. And then I know this you know, so clearly when you meet people who have gone through some kind of trauma or some kind of serious illness or even terminal illness, what happens is everything is realigned. It's almost like everything, you know, like people, you, you probably have a whole list of priorities in your own life. Like yeah. you want to get, you want to achieve this and you want to do this for your family and their friends. And so the year is planned and then, and then everything is like planned. You think, oh, I'm going to live to roughly about 76 or, and then all of a sudden something comes, everything, like you had 10 things that were, that were in priority, everything changes. Yeah. And so in those kind of situations, like what moves right to the top is something you didn't think was important, like family, like um, peace, like um, just um, free time to to order your life in some way, and and to think of the purpose of life. That's what. Uh, that's why these are blessings, and the reason why we don't take them as blessings, we never get to reprioritize them while we're healthy, while we have the time. When we when we have the time, we're doing other things. When we're healthy, we're doing other things, and. You know, this is something that in the Quran is is very very clear. The idea of blessing, um, also in Allah specifically mentions numerous times the the organs themselves. You know, Allah mm -hmm. says, "Alam naj Allahu aynain walisana wa shafatain." Did we not grant the human being uh, two eyes? You know, so the, the the function of the eye and its purpose and its benefit, walisana wa shafatain, and and a, and a tongue which is able to articulate in speech. You know, be able to, to articulate things, um, and and the lips as well. All these have very specific modern medicine and modern biology tells us the very clear function of each of these things. And Allah talks about the, the the fingertip. All these things are indications that Allah has created everything in a perfect balance. And then when the balance, you know, turns to something else, that's illness. And then that is in and of itself going to be another episode. Gonna be, that's going to be a, a test. And so, you know, one of the things that we have in our tradition is that these, you know, everything that happens in creation is, is from the will of Allah. Everything that happens is is done for a wisdom by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we do our actions, like we choose to do certain things. So we choose to be good or not. We get rewarded or, or, or punished for that. But everything happens for ultimate wisdom. Even the way that God has created creation, with, with the fact that we have choices, like you probably mm -hmm. talk about, if somebody's ill, do they take what you know? Do they take medicine or do they not? What what's their priorities? We have the we have the option of doing or not doing, and so yeah. it's a, it's an interesting um, area because the deeper you go in real life with your own your own experience of illness, like when I'm speaking, people are listening, and everyone's been through some kind of illness. This um, is a real discussion. It's not. Um, it's not, it's not, I'm not giving up a, a pragmatic yeah. 
yeah. or abstract talk about medicine here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think she a couple of the points that you touched on in terms of, you know, when we when we reach out to medicines when illness does come upon an individual, they want to have an answer there and then. It was like a talk that you you um, I think the other day and um, just before a study that we were listening to, and it said it comes as a form of um, if I remember correctly of like shaitan when when somebody's unwell they want to find an answer ASAP they you know why is there why is there not a solution to my illness straight away and it's and, and it does become a form of say you know um, a rush madness you know it's like somebody has been diagnosed with cancer or diabetes it's like we need a cure we need a cure right now we need to do something so that I can get back into my normal routine um, but like you touched on when illness falls upon an individual they have to stop and they have to think about their physical and emotional and spiritual health. Um, mm. And that all comes together. Um, as I always say, it's like it comes as a three part to have a complete healthy person. And in Islam, you know, we know that, you know, if one part is injured or unhealthy, the other parts suffer, you know, whether it's mm. physically, emotionally and spiritually. And in Islam, you know, we always talk about our bodies that are trust from Allah and we are accountable for how we look after our health. But when we are healthy, we don't we do you know like you said we were so busy in this rat race of life shall we say and then when you know ill health comes upon us we have to stop and then reassess for where we are going so when you say when we say islam becomes a, a like a holistic approach would you say that's quite sufficient to say um in islam yeah i mean holistic means you're taking the whole thing the whole organism so yeah. organisms get you know, go, don't fulfill their function. Eye doesn't fulfill its function. The kidney doesn't fulfill its function. So, you know, you could look at it from a purely materialistic perspective and say, well, okay, this is what's wrong. The blood is not being filtered or, or the, there's a stricture in the arteries and then this is what needs to be done. And this is, so you've got all these options based upon dealing with this human being carrying this organ, which we need to fix. We need to yeah. get it back to where it is. So you put a stint in or you... You have you graft something, or you, you, there's numerous interventions you have based upon the body. But remember, happiness is about being happy with what you have. And sometimes in in life, whether you believe in God or not, you get handed a, a card, which you know, set of cards, which is not what you want. And contentment within that is, you know, essentially the purpose of life. So Islam gives us the idea that. You have to take care of your your perception of something rather than what's happening. So yeah. there's a very famous hadith, one of my favorite hadiths about um, this topic, but not about illness, but it's about this idea you said about holistic, the holistic approach, which is in the process. I saw somebody in, in in kind of a deep kind of depression and sadness. He asked him what was wrong, and he said a specific worldly, you know, fear he had. I think it was about debt. And the prophet meaning that he's fearing for himself, like it's not what he wanted. He wanted wealth. Yeah. And same thing with 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 health. If somebody might be ill, then they'll go into depression or 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 anxiety. So the prophet said to him, "Oh, you need to well, you need to re." We didn't say this. I'm saying this is what he's going to say. You're going to have to refocus um, your priorities and understand the ultimate purpose. Because he said, "You should say to Allah, Allah min al-hazan." This is the first of a, the beginning of a very long hadith. But I'll just mention the first part, which is relevant. That, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you. Meaning, I believe in you from these two things, that you will save me from them, which is ham 
and hazan. Ham is like, you know, it's something that when something difficult happens, you think to the future, don't you think, okay, what's going to happen to this person? Like imagine somebody has been diagnosed with a, with a, with a, with a terminal illness. Yeah. And the immediate thing would be, what about if they have children or they have, you know, dependents, who's going to take care of them? So this ang this this looking into the future is something that you should seek refuge in Allah from. In other words, you need to change your mindset. You need to yeah. change the the, the, the the game. And you can do that with your mind. You you ask Allah, do not allow me to fall into this thing, which is to fear things in the future. And we call that um, anxiety. This okay. is... You know, so people, interesting about illnesses, people always talk about the physical aspects of, even when they talk about spiritual things, they talk about the spirit, physical things. But with it is the mental and the spiritual. Ham is a spiritual um, ailment. And so, you know, having this apprehension, nervousness about the future, you should know that anything that is written, if you've done what you've done, is for, the, is for, for a per ultimate purpose that God knows. You know, and, and that purpose could be to elevate you, to get you to get you come get you to come closer to your creator. It could be just to show you that ultimate power is you know, all the ultimate you know entity is God. Like we're not timeless, we're not entities that will live forever. We have this sense of powerfulness and that we will never leave this earth. And just that perspective that we see when we are ill or somebody else is ill that says, Okay, if that person's ill, I'm going to be ill as well. Okay, I need to reprioritize my priorities. And so illness is, is a learning process for, for the individual in, in the state of illness. But also, if you look, think of somebody in a hospital and look at all the people, Muslims are famous for just crowding around a hospital, even when it's not permitted. Yeah. And okay. yeah, that is, part of it is they're thinking, that could be me. And then if, they're, if they have deep faith in Allah, they're thinking, okay, what have I prepared so that when I'm in that state, I'm I'm at least thankful for the for the things that I've been given that are thankful. The second the Prophet said was al hazan You know, I seek refuge in, in you from hazan hazan is like um it's like depression. It's like something that's related to the past that you've done. And like imagine you the, the illness is something due to something you've been doing. Yeah. Like bad health choices or no exercise, and you're thinking, you know, if only I'd done this, I wouldn't be a burden to my family and Look, what's past is past, and the and, and so you the, the the Muslim is essentially. I mean, I'll tell this to anybody who's ill. You should be what scholars call Ibn al-Waqt, which basically means you live in the moment. Like, what do you need to do now? And to, any any doctor will tell you the same thing. Like, yeah. what do you need to do now? And this is what all the, our scholars and saints and everybody that we take respect, give respect to, said that this in this moment, what is what's due from you? You're ill. Okay, what's your responsibility to your body, first of all? To your own spiritual health, secondly, then your dependence and so on and so forth. What Islam does is this, it just snaps you right into operation mode. Like, okay, this has happened. How do we need to prioritize everything? And that's that's a unique thing. But Islam is it's you know, part of the, the people's you know problem with Islam is that it has insights on everything, so you're not left to think about essentially anything yourself. Yeah. It leaves you to think, but essentially it's got something that says, look, if you do this, you'll be much better spiritually and physically. And in yeah. illness, it's definitely the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, you touched on it. It was, And I think it tests on our patience and our gratitude um, and how, how we overcome the obstacles that we, we, we endure. And 
I think it was also in a conversation as well where they say, you know, when illness does decree upon us and any hardship, it's whether it, we come towards Allah or we, I think, you know, many or a minority will go the opposite way where they blame. I think it's like mm -hmm. a, you know, why has this happened to me? You know, I, I'm a good person or what, why, why is this illness? But they, ha they don't see the bigger picture that this is something that actually will bring you closer and, you know, over time will elevate your your strength in in in, in Islam, and we know that a lot of people um, rely more on medicines and physical remedies rather than the spiritual remedies prescribed in Islam. You know, um, from the traditions of the Prophet وسلم, we you know I was again it was a, a story I came across and that where um, our Prophet وسلم, camped close by to some of the people who did not show him any hospitality, and when the leader of the nearby camp was bitten by a snake. They went to the Prophet Muhammad a companion for help and he recited the opening chapter of the Quran which helped the afflicted man and, and he rose and it said in inverted commas as if released from a chain. So we, we know that the Quran is a healing in itself as well but it's how how do we use the Quran and the healings to help with you know when when somebody has come across such severe calamity as we see at the time say for something like cancer where there is no cure or, um, you know, someone that's got renal failure where they've got to make a decision on, you know, dialysis transplantation, there is no cure to that. How would how would an individual or what would you say or advise um, Sheikh when somebody comes along, comes across a situation like that? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a difficult one because, you know, if you don't get what, the first step right, which is your, your um, how, you, how you perceive what's happening, your understanding of it, there's no point going to the second, which is, okay, this is how you now sink into that understanding. So this whole idea of blessing, this whole idea of, of being in the moment, this whole idea of knowing that there's a bigger picture will affect the way that you view, for example, any interventions that take place from that moment on. So, for example, you're given a diagnosis. Okay, your conception of the diagnosis and your understanding of where you fit in, in the world now and what this means in terms of your relationship to Allah and why you think this is happening is 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 core to the next step, which is when they start to give you all the options of interventions. You know, so they'll say you can do X, Y, and Z. They can you can do this, or this, and you do this. You know, you might have a spinal injury, and if, and we don't want to we don't want to operate, but if you operate, then the chances are forty percent. So you've got all these options as well. And so, what we know is the Prophet Ali Salatullah did say, and this this is the whole purpose of you know, engaging in, in medicine generally, because the Muslim scholars generally were all doctors. I mean, great scholars of our tradition were also doubled up as me medical doctors, like Ibn Rushd, uh, for example. And so we know that the Prophet said that every illness has a cure except death. Yeah. So in the sense, you can never say about an illness that we shouldn't strive to rectify and regain some semblance of health. So that's a kind of initial thing now whether you engage in in, in um, all the options of, of um, you know, medicating yourself is a different different thing because that's choice I mean, I mean doctors will say you have this option that option and at the end of the day they won't force you to do anything because sometimes you know sometimes the effects of certain interventions affect the quality of life so much that you know the last moments of a person are not ones that they're 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 at peace peace with, and also their families at peace with. So this happens in 
in terminal terminal illness cases a lot of times we especially in covid had a number of issues situations yeah. where you know they had to choose whether they remained in hospital or, or take the person out of hospital to be able to have a more um human um exit from the world and the quality of that was far better than being in a hospital with nobody able to visit you so you know the, the the options are there but this is where you have to be ready if you're in a state of illness you have to be ready to make decisions and it's like you know in, in our spiritual tradition there is something that's relevant to this which is your conception of it is extremely important before we go into you know you mentioned about using the quran or other things as, as a means yeah. of illness um, um, medicine the idea that um and this is used for qadan qadr like something difficult happens regardless of ill health or not you know i think imam ghazali mentions the metaphor of a person complaining to the doctor who cuts off one of their limbs because it's 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 infected so in the past and even now if you if you have a limb that's infected you can't save it they will not leave it because you see oh, I, I just like to have my, both my legs or, or my arm or something they will cut it they will amputate it reason for that is if you don't amputate it the infection spreads and you die and so Imam Zai says, you, you know, complaining to the doctor is okay and complaining about the pain is okay, but not complaining about this, the decision because the decision is for ultimate betterment of you. So when, when, we, when we feel the pain of illness, when we go through difficulties, it's absolutely okay to, to complain. It's absolutely okay to, to place your, your feelings in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that's natural. Human beings are made, made like that. But then also to have this deep conviction that it's for the sake of something else. And that, that ties into this idea of making use of... Because the hadith you mentioned, the hadith in, in Imam Bukhari's collection and others, um, in which the, this this situation happened, uh, you know, a, a tribal yeah. leader was ill and some of the companions recited upon him, uh, you know, and then when they came back, they actually were given a, a reward the number of sheep and the Prophet said, What 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 is this? And they said, We did this and this happened. So the person was cured through the Fatiha. And the Prophet said, Wama adraka ruqya. Um, how did you know it's it has this quality? Now the quality was partly to scholars say to do the fact that it it is it has this quality of bringing people into an understanding of the ultimate purpose of things. You know, in other words, the Quran is a shifa. It means that it's a shifa for your the way that you perceive things, you frame things, but also it has this power to, in some way, ease difficulty and for you to then build up this immunity, which we know through numerous studies, this immunity to, um, you know, face up to the challenges that you'll have if you if you have face serious illness. And so the Quran is a shifa, and it's a shifa because it, you know, there's numerous studies about. You know, Surah Rahman in Pakistan. There's doctors did studies on the effect yeah. of patients that listened to Surah Rahman um, during their rehabilitation, and you know, quite start startling um, differences in the recovery rates and general mental health and general acknowledgement and um, you know, kind of acceptance of what, what was happening, but also recovery. So. I know the modern mind is is skeptical about um, you know an incantation or a recitation of something like the Quran, but it's borne out. It's, it's just we don't know how it is, but it's borne out. And so, 
this is is like one of the crutches that you will then use to reformulate your understanding of illness in the state of illness it will give you this kind of sense of power and um and uh, you know some kind of you know you know kind of um light being sensed at the end of the tunnel and um you know it's definitely something that we shouldn't ignore a lot of muslims nowadays they think that this is you know perhaps just to relax the person but it's, it's more deep it's more deeper than that it re-establishes your, your conviction and your faith it re-establishes the fact that you want to get better it re-establishes the fact that you want to have a part in this whole process other other than unless you want to be a person just takes whatever you're given by the doctor and just takes it and just doesn't feel part of the process of healing so it's very important that a person who's ill feels that they have some kind of power and choice and volition in getting better because I know myself when I get ill and I think okay is this going to just let it run through my body as opposed to saying okay let's let's take get hold of this and let's um, make sure that we get better the big difference I know this from my own life when I get ill you know the the, the mental perception of the illness has a big big effect on how you you come out of it yeah no I agree Sheikh I mean um, just from a personal note it was like my son the other day had really bad um, stomach pain and I said you know mm. read Surah Fatiha put your hand right hand on read Surah Fatiha and he said the pain's not going away and I said but are you thinking about what you're reading or are you just reading it and he said okay so he read it and I think he read it about 11 times and he said oh, the pain's calmed down now. And I said, so were you thinking what you were reading? He said, yeah, I was trying to understand what I was reading. Mm. So, you know, it was trying to teach them the, the, you know, to think rather than just needing the quick fix as well. And Yeah, then, so that's the thing. I mean, that's the whole thing about the, the, the um, people being hasty. So the yeah. hastiness is, okay, okay, what does the Quran say about getting rid of a headache? Okay, go. Let's, it's not going away, it's four hours. But the whole <laughs> point is there's... You know, even like du'a, if you think about it, you know, when you make du'a, the du'a is is either going to work right away, it's like a medicine is going to work right away, or it's going to be, it's not the right medicine, or it's better to, better to save this for the next life. It's like, you know, the du'a is like that. And all, also the Qur'an in terms of its shifa is like that. So a lot of people think, okay, it's not working because I'm not doing it properly and all the rest of it. No, the, it's exactly the same as, as a du'a. The du'a is just to indicate you're a servant of God and in the relationship with the illness that you know that there's a there's there's good in this so when you recite Quran it's almost as if you're doing the same thing either Allah will make it go away now or you know there's something I need to rectify or and otherwise I need to stay ill because the purpose to being ill you know is a function to being ill if you if your if your knee seizes up there's a reason your knee seizes up because it knows that if you don't seize up you'll create more damage to your body like there's reasons why these things happen the illness is not there as a bad thing. Sometimes it's to stop something worse happening. Or, you know, the, the Quran is recited so that you get through this and the experience of it and you come out the other side, which is in the hereafter. This is why prophets, they they never complained in, in that sense um, deeply about illness except to show their, you know, servitude to God. And so it's not, the prophet could have done all of these, you know, as soon as he was ill, in his final, you know, illness, Ali Salat was could have easily recited and remained, but yeah. you know the whole purpose is, no one remains on earth forever, and the wisdom of being ill and understanding frailty is something that modern human mind 
is not very well equipped to understand, not very well equipped to yeah. try and um, engage with, which is unfortunate because that's you have wisdom. Wisdom is going through things so you can pass it on to your 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 your, your loved ones as well. Yeah, and I think when we talk about on this as well, um, you know, when an illness is decreed upon you, as I mentioned before, you know, we know that there is a taboo within our in in the culture i should say you know when illness befalls upon you many people don't like to tell people they're unwell because you're seen as the unwell one i mean i know you know this is out of the concept like family members have become unwell um just recently obviously there was you know there was a couple that got married and uh, the 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 husband fell really unwell uh, the wife spent all her time looking after him just newly married um, and sadly he passed away and it became at the time it was fine but then afterwards you know the family were um, quite upset that they weren't told that the, that the that the boy was unwell before and it's decreed as in I, sh I should say you know it's not seen as you know the blessing that she had in that time to look after him was maybe her test as you say you know to think about that Allah had to decree that for her to come closer to Allah or that was destined for her. So I know that's a big taboo within families, you know, when we talk about ill health and, you know, go back to the concept of understanding that this is from Allah and what we should do and how our mindset should be to um, to come closer to Allah. You know, so I bring this on again to the topic of the work that I do around, um, you know, educating and awareness on kidney health and disease and organ donation. You know, I work with Kidney Research UK and the work that we do around dialysis and transplantation i know we've done many talks on this before sheikh and but i feel that always there's a need to have these discussions within our communities because there's such a excessive need um within our communities for people waiting um because of ill health that they have you know diabetes and high blood pressure um how do we overcome this i you know I, I i always have these conversations and i think you know organ donation is a taboo subject what do we do or how can we discuss this more openly within our communities for them to understand that this isn't this shouldn't be a taboo it should be something that we're doing to help one another yes yeah, and interesting you say it's a taboo because you know muslim cultures you know, you know any any Muslim country I've gone to has had extensive infrastructures, health infrastructures. You know, historically, so you know they used to have maristans. They were kind of hospitals as endowments from way past into Islamic history, because they knew that medicine was a healer was in a, in other words doing the, the work of Allah. In other words, doing an act of charity, but also rectifying something that was a was a kind of atrophying of the, of the body so in other words they were doing something that was pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tabib is like a person that's you know healing and so there was never it was never a taboo any any type of illness in fact so even mental illness or what we understand now to be certain manifestation of mental illness were actually you know understood by traditional societies to be actually um almost like an elevation the, the person who was afflicted was being more elevated despite having lost certain functions or being able to you know know what's right and wrong being able to understand and so there was like this tribulation and trial that was specific to that person and so it wasn't seen to be 
the taboo that it started to become. And I think that's a lot to do. I think we we have difficulty understanding it, but historically, you know, from the from the onset of the theory of evolution, and evolution, you know, has this kind of idea of the survival of the fittest, and so people are sub um, optimum. You know, in other words, um, are, are not able to use their body in every single aspect they have, which is any type of illness. You know, you've got you know an eye which is unable to see clearly that's still a type of illness because you still have to wear glasses that scene has been suboptimum and that therefore it is something that shouldn't be um you know kind of celebrated but also should be it's something that's almost like a, 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 a something that's given by god as a, as a punishment for example and therefore that is i think that's the on it, onset of this embarrassment and this kind of taboo around certain types of illness where it's seen that oh we're kind of suboptimum and this must must be a reason why god is unhappy with us when we know the prophet said that the people are are most prone to tribulations of the prophets then those are close to them then those are closer to them you know and so what what's interesting here is that the community needs to know that religion tells us islam specifically tells us why people get ill, meaning the the, the, the ultimate purpose, the, the wider reason for this. The wider reason could be a, 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 a scientific reason. You just, you've been smoking and effects of smoking are X, Y, and Z. That's within the permit of religion as well. But also that this is to tell you that you need to rectify yourself and, and um, you know, stop whatever um, you're doing that's, that precipitates this. And science is what tells you how things happen. So it tells the mechanics of how to get rid of um, an addiction. It get, tells you how to rectify um, a kidney which needs to go through dialysis or needs a transplantation. So, I mean, the thing is, the taboo is something that I think the more you talk and the more you are um, is done in public, continuously the taboo disappears because taboos are based on that. Certain taboos are natural, like there are certain social taboos which are there just because of the fact that you know, society might have the quality of, um, you know, um, shyness or whatever. Mm-hmm. But certain taboos, like like these kind of taboos, are something that are detrimental to our community generally. As you know in your work, you know, trying to raise awareness is difficult when people are embarrassed when somebody's afflicted by a specific type of illness. It doesn't help in in help getting to those people because it's a taboo. And which goes against in every understanding of Islamic law. Prophet said, yuzal, which is no, Prophet said, dirar, that there's no harming of people and you shouldn't reciprocate and perpetuate harm. Just because you know somebody's ill doesn't mean you 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 you, you, you supplement it with more difficulties yeah. by creating a taboo around something. Yeah. Thank you very much, Sheikh. Um, and also when when we talk about this, um, you know, and we've come across this, and I know some of Sheikh Hassan's um, spoke one time about this, and the concept of darura, uh, they said, you know, when there is a necessity, you know, a lot of people then talk about it and say, uh, I was at a talk actually quite recently at one of the mosques, the major mosques, and um, the imam actually said to me um, that I don't, uh, believe in donation and I wouldn't ever take a donate you know I wouldn't ever take a kidney or an organ and I wouldn't give one either so it's something that I'm not comfortable talking about um, and I do feel that people don't really talk about issues that 
they're not, I shouldn't say it in a bad way, but either inflicted or upon the, themselves or loved ones around them. So it's something of not interest of them as such. And I do see that with, within the work that I do because, you know, it's people that are interested um, are those that have had either family members that have been afflicted with this ill health or this um, this area or people of interest. So when we talk about this and we, we need to highlight this and we educate and we talk about the need for it and we talk about the RURA, could you just explain a little bit more about just for the listeners to understand what that concept is? Yeah, Darura is a very, I mean, almost like it's like one of the core elements of Islam in terms of the Prophet came essentially to to ease. And this is what Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziya mentions, that the Prophet came to, with two main focuses. One is um, to make things easier. And one of the ways you make things easier is to understand that if there's a really dire need for something, you can be more lenient. And the other thing is to do things in, in gradual stages. In other words, do things step by step so that you know things um, get to what the desired outcome is. And the thing about Dorora is, it's basically, we translate it, it relates to necessity, like dire necessity. Like something is, we wouldn't normally do. And yeah. there's that overriding need or necessity to do it. We do it because, not because we want to cut corners, it's because the sacred law, Islam and the Prophet's teachings indicate that. And so in the Quran, it talks about, you know, eating, for example, swine meat, for example. You know, in a in a state of necessity, or you know, s- stating a statement which is, um, in and of itself, disbelief, out of uh, a, a dire necessity, for example, and so Islam has this idea that in certain situations, what we would normally not do is done. Like for example, you don't you don't go about cutting your arm, you don't go about slicing, um, a portion of your chest, you don't go about you know cutting a slice down your knee um, but you do if you need to operate yeah so we say it's haram for you to you know cut all these parts of the body but then will anyone say the same thing if you are in a state of um you know some kind of trauma being through a car crash or something and the, and the doctor needs to do something specifically or finds you're choking and then they have to put alternative means of breathing through your um, throat channel, your 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 neck, for example. That's dorora. And this is why in, in the Sharia we say that, this, that these things which are necessities are are done in, 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 in relation to how much the need is and the dire need is. So each situation is different. In certain situations you would have no leeway. In other situations you have a lot of leeway. And this is the amazing thing about Islam is that we should never deny that um, that leeway that we have because the Prophet very famously was brought in a situation where you know somebody was you know they were in a in a in a skirmish with some people and the companions had gone and they, one of them was injured and so he had to take a bath and this was in we think of Arabia as being warm and hot but at night and get very cold. And the person had to do a bath, so he wanted to do he wanted to do a bath, but he didn't want to because he, well he needed to, but he didn't want to. And his companion said, "You need to do a bath." And he did the bath, and it, and because the water had got infected, by the time they go back to the city, he'd been the prophet was told that he'd passed away because of the infection, and he said, "They have killed him. May God fight them." In other words, 
what happened is they didn't take the leeway, the leniency, which is he didn't have to do, um, he didn't have to do Ghusl. Like there's yeah. a necessity there. There's a dire necessity. And so this affects Islamic law because, you know, things like um, transplants, which normally you don't go to somebody and, and open their body and take something out. You yeah. don't do that. But is there enough of a necessity if you can do it in a way that it doesn't affect the person that gives it and it also saves another person? That's darura. So this concept is something that Dorora is such an amazing, as you mentioned it, it's a very good thing you mentioned it, because it's it's it envelops all aspects of, of you know Islam and medicine and health. Because especially in terms of modern interventions, you're talking about dialysis, blood transfusions, we're talking about um heart transplants when a person passes away, it can be what they call harvested from the body, kidneys, liver, cornea, you know, there's numerous things that can be donated. All of these things, blood plasma, there's numerous things. All of them are done if there is an extremeness in necessity and saving a life is the, of that type. Yeah. And the other thing is that it doesn't harm the person that it's taken from. And so there, yeah. that's like, you know, one of my, the teachers of one of my teachers um, wrote one of the earliest books on this topic in the 1960s, you know, giving a very strong case, arguing on the concept of necessity, like, for things the organ donation because he was he was one of the first people to deal with that yeah we know i i think i've read so many um as i say research um articles on organ donation on the islamic perspective and even the recent one where um uh, mufti zubair but from uh, bradford from the islamic jurisprudence he um wrote on you know the four-year research that he did on there and you know you attended the event that we had hosted in pre-covid feels like it was a lifetime away but it's it was typical, yes. yeah it's 2019 um and the, this concept obviously um it's been researched and and we discuss it and and I think, you know, when we talk about the per permissibility and the quotes always taken from, you know, in Hadith where we say, you know, if we save one person, it's like saving mankind. Um, but then people discuss about the myths, uh, the sorry, the mutilations, you know, the, the concept that they have where the body is sacred and it shouldn't be touched at the time of death. The way the person dies is the way the person should be buried. And then mm -hmm. you've also got the concept where you should be able to save a life. And obviously asking yourself, Sheikh, you know, both points are valid um, as it's a personal choice. You know, there's there's no, um, there's no, um, as I say, there's no governance on it that, you know, you have to make one, you know, it has to be a decision. So there is a personal choice. And we know that with the law change and what's happening in, in Scotland and the UK as a whole. When we talk about the sacredness of the body, and I know we know a majority of the people from the community um, go down this road could you just elaborate just a little bit just for the listeners as well what that concept means and and what the the, the latter concept means when we talk about saving a life as well yeah so th this whole discussion about organization it came as i said in 60s it was it became a reality earlier than that slightly and then islamic scholars essentially discussed it and they basically there's two i think you'd probably say two major um camps in fact, in terms of majority, which a vast majority of scholars um, from that moment until now have been, um, you know, of the opinion that it is permissible. We're talking about over the Muslim 
scholarly community in terms of Muslim countries and um, major scholarly bodies such as the Jeddah Fiqh Council and the, the Mecca Fiqh Council, for example, and all the symposiums that have taken place on Islamic medicine specifically have generally been majority in favor of um, organ donation based on, you know, with conditions. And the other, which I think mostly coalesces around the subcontinent, so India, Pakistan scholars, mm -hmm. for their own reasons, very well argued reasons, um, which you kind of intonated towards, have said no. So they come down to two basic things. One is, you know, you know, this idea of saving a life. So in, in certain Ma'idah, I mean, Allah mentions that whoever saves a life is if they save the whole of humanity. And so that is not the proof. It's this idea that saving a life is one of those necessities if you fulfill certain conditions. So we're not saying saving a life regardless, with conditions, yeah. that you don't save it by sacrificing another life. So you don't say, okay, somebody needs a heart, I've got a heart, I, I think that person's more deserving, I'll sacrifice my heart. No, because you've sacrificed a heart, a, a human being in that process. Also, if it leads to a detrimental effect on their on their life, which is known, you know, ill health or illness, which will be known by doing something, it's not permissible, permissible either. If it's sold, for example, like people sell organs, it's not permissible either. So there's, that position is basically on that topic of if you're able to secure the saving of a life, I'm going to talk about cosmetic, you know, donations of skin or blood, because that's, you know, those are acceptable because you can skin graft and the skin grows back. We're talking about essential organs. In those situations, you know, most scholars have said it's permissible with conditions. On the other hand, you have, you know, scholars that will say, well, it's it's Musla. And the Prophet said, you know, in very famous hadith, one of the companions said, He's forbade us from mutilating. And even that, you know, mutilation meaning cutting up the body, and disfiguring the body in some way, and again, it makes sense if you if you say, well, what's happening is you're just cutting up for no reason. Remember, when you have a any operation, what happens is you go through a procedure which will end up disfiguring the body in some way. If you have mm -hmm. a heart bypass, bypass, there will be significant scarring. <clears throat> Do you understand? So yeah. it's not as if that's not. And you look at the scars of people who've had those operations; it's pretty traumatic to even look at so it's, it's always about a question of the reason for doing something and and the, and the majority of scholars who have said this they've said that the issue of human sanctity the issue of not um, mutilating the body is specifically to the warfare you know in the, in the past in battles people used to go over the battlefield and mutilate the dead bodies of people the process and forbade the companions from doing that so most scholars like you know the teacher my teacher Sheikh Ibrahim Yaqobi Grant in paradise, he said that look, this is not mutilation because you know you're doing it for a different purpose, you're not disrespecting the body. And so, I mean, they're equally valid. I mean, at the end of it, it's a personal decision, but um, I think the, the listeners do need to know that there is um, you know, numerical, um, you know, kind of you know, you know, um, you know, a greater number of people are on yeah. one side than the other. But, you know, Islamic law is all based upon the fact that it's not based upon coercion. It's based upon accepting difference of opinion and understand that an, the other opinion is wrong for me, has the possibility of being right. 
like mm -hmm. that's how we always talk about these things if you have a discussion black and white is very difficult very dangerous so when somebody comes up with something black and white without any caveats it's usually dangerous so what scholars always say is that my my opinion is correct has the possibility of being wrong and the other person is wrong ha but has the possibility of being correct you leave the door open yeah. and that's why discussion and debate you know making um you know uh, black and white very stark contrast and what we usually put beneficial yeah yeah i mean like obviously you know when we when we hear the concepts of islam and we know the difference of transplantation and people that have had transplants what what you know change they've had in their life and you know from the ill health of being on dialysis and then receiving the call getting the transplant and that is obviously from a deceased person and you know and i know there was a concept in conversations where people had said you know i don't mind becoming an organ donor but my organ has to go to a muslim because i'm a muslim um what would you say i mean just touching briefly because i know we were running out of time now as well i'm sure we could talk about this forever but um what would you say if someone had that concept mind concept um on even taking an organ from someone does it necessarily have to be from a muslim do you think she no i mean that's um like when, when somebody makes that kind of um dist distinction i mean it doesn't have any kind of i don't i don't personally don't think that has any kind of um religious val validity because mm -hmm. you know even if you want to go deep into this you can in terms of theology like you know in, in terms of schools of of theology a person who, who's a believer is a person who dies on islam not the person mm -hmm. who's a muslim at this moment in time so it's, it's a kind of thing that because we've decided it's, it's an issue of necessity, like this is a, a situation of necessity, those kind of discussions actually have no weight in, in, in a scholar's thinking when they say it's permissible. Because the, the, the organ is being used in a state of necessity. In a state of necessity, we, there's no reason or... Um, you know, kind of validity to looking at looking at the kind of these kind of small issues of was the person Muslim or should we only give it to Muslims? And it's 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 a it's a misunderstanding of that issue of darura because darura is something that is once it's established as darura, you you're not then pernickety about how that is then established because it's to save life, and so you won't you won't essentially practically you won't say okay we won't take this donation because the person who died in a car crash wasn't a Muslim when they died. How do you not know? Like We can become absurd and say, well, they might have been thinking about becoming Muslim or they might have said a shahada while they're dying. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So at that moment in time, you can't say, okay, well, we've got the match, but by the way, just let you know that he wasn't a Muslim or she wasn't a Muslim. Like that is, yeah. that's making a mockery essentially of Islamic law. So wherever that idea comes from, I don't think it came from hopefully it didn't come from scholars it, I think it's, just, it's just a kind of you know I think the lay person th over, overthinking something I think yeah I think it is I mean I was at the British Transplant um, conference uh, last month and we were listening to patient stories and it was a a, a white um, Caucasian um, young very affluent boy at university he died suddenly through a hockey um, it was he played hockey and a hockey stick hit his head. He had a cardiac arrest. He passed away. He, went, he was brain dead. And his mum decided to um, donate his organs. And his heart went to a Muslim man from Burma. 
and his kidney and his liver went to a young three-year-old Muslim girl that lived actually just around the corner from where they lived. So we were listening to the story and I thought, subhanAllah, like you think to yourself that, you know, where Allah has destined for you. And it was, you know, when, when we talk about tissue type and blood type and that is the match, but then you think about what Allah has destined for you and what is written for you. So this three-year-old girl is now nine years old. Uh, Rafa, her name is, and you know, Masha, she's doing so well at school. And, you know, and this concept of people, when, when we have these conversations and I have people say, you know, to me, oh, but, you know, I don't mind donating, but it has to be a Muslim. And you think, you don't know what is decreed for you. You don't know what is decreed for your children to come as well. So it's a concept, like you said, I don't think it's come from the scholars. I think it's more the lay person just uh, overthinking. Yeah, I think and, once they once um, they once they kind of kind of accept that they do need to go through the process, then they start to complicate it by yeah. you know once you've decided it's needed, you know yeah. we've already decided we want to make it easy. You don't then backtrack and make okay, let's try not to make it permissible. So yeah. I think it just comes up in a slight naivety, maybe innocent naivety on how Islam is a very practical religion. It's a very, very pragmatic religion. In fact, that's one of the problems that people have with Islam, even Muslims have with Islam, is they yeah. want it to be very harsh and critical. And But the, there's bigger issues. Sometimes once one question which seems to be, you know, black and white, but sometimes there's lots of elements that go into addressing an issue, which are not always apparent to most people. And so scholars can't always, like, we can't always say like there's 12 things that I've factored into this answer. You just say, look, just like the doctor won't give you all the micro analysis that they've gone through to tell you what the best course of action is. They'll say, look, this is what it is. But nowadays, unfortunately, people feel in the age of Google, they feel that they've already diagnosed it based upon what they've read on, on, on the internet. And it's very yeah. similar with scholarship. You know, medicine and scholarship are in the, in the same situation where student, you know patients go to the doctor already having diagnosed themselves. And students or the public already come to scholars having decided what the fatwa is, for example. Yeah, and they just need you to agree with it. <laughs> yes, and they just want Robert. I say, okay, what do you want me to do then? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Jazakallah so much, Sheikh. Thank you very much um, for taking up your time today. Jazakallah for always enlightening us with so much knowledge and expertise on this topic. And I thought it was something that we should cover as health in general and obviously touching on some of the work that I'm involved in as well. Um, so I hope, inshallah, the listeners um, gained some more knowledge on this topic. And inshallah, if you do have any questions, then please do contact myself. Um, and I'm happy to answer anything along the lines of the work that I'm involved in. Um, Jazakallah again, Sheikh. Um, and Yep, and hope you have a blessed day and remember us in your du'as, inshallah. inshallah. And hope your hands okay as well. <laughs> inshallah, I'll get better. <laughs> Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum.